0: I'm Mick Garris, and this is Postmortem. I just want to say a little about our change of venue this season. Our first series was done with Podcast One. They are the world's biggest podcaster, and it was quite an honor to be asked to do a show for and with them. It was an amazing opportunity to share our conversations with the widest possible audience, and they were encouraging every step of the way. They never objected to any direction I wanted to take the show, and they were quite supportive. But when it came time to decide on a second season, it became clear that it was not the perfect fit. Most of the shows on Podcast One are hosted by radio and television celebrities, and I am certainly not one of those. There are over 200 shows on their network, and one that appeals to a more niche audience, specifically an audience devoted to horror and the outré, can easily be lost in the shuffle. We also had to deal with censorship issues, which is certainly something we in the genre are not unused to. But for these conversations to be freewheeling and honest, the bleeps for certain four-letter words were jarring at the very least. Like the best works in the genre, these talks work best uncensored, and we weren't able to go there unfettered. Again, they never got in the way of anything we wanted to say, it's just that some of those words got the axe. Also, Can I be honest about reading commercials for pet supplies and used car selling services? I never wanted my representatives to put me up for commercials because I just don't want to sell shit. I'm not an announcer and I'm not a salesman. My purpose here is to be inquisitive, to find out how different artists responsible for creating our greatest fears practice their craft. To see what inspires them to get insight into the creative process in the dark side of the arts. I think our new home here at Blumhouse is a much better fit. They know the genre and love the genre and respect the genre. And their only other podcast is the wonderful Shockwaves, hosted by my friends Rob G., Rebecca McKendry, Ryan Turek, and Elric Kane. This place feels like home, a place for kindred spirits to gather. So welcome. I often talk about how entranced I am by films from different places around the world, and our guest is a wonderful example. French filmmaker Alexandre Aja hit the genre festivals like a mallet to the head with his powerful horror thriller, Haute Tension, known here as High Tension, before being taken under wing by no less than Wes Craven for the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. We'll be speaking with Alex in just moments and find out what makes him tick. You are now listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris, where the most influential voices in horror cinema will spill their guts, literally, to the renowned horror director, writer, and producer. Now, here's your host, Mick Garris. So, Alexandra, you were born into into filmmaking. Tell me how you grew up. Your father was a well-known director and producer, and your mother was a film critic yes so
1: as far as i remember i was uh, on set i think i think i do a little um, appearance kind of a little part in my second uh, the second feature that my father directed in 81 Wow, and
0: uh, you were only like, two years old. Or yes, something?
1: yes, pretty much. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't really remember this time. I remember the the one after where I had a bigger part. And the funny fact is that Luc Besson was the second unit director. Oh my god! And so he had to shoot most of my uh, uh, scene or element. There was one thing where I had to eat like a big cake with my hands uh, as a kid. And and that's something that, you know, you will always remember. And I remember him as well. And and it was like a funny, because years later, Luc produced High Tension. And and so there was that how it started somehow.
0: Well, your father produced High Tension as well, right? Yes. So Luc Besson and your father produced it. Tell me how the film came to be. So um, I did
1: uh, a short film when I was eighteen, uh, called Over the Rainbow, and that short film had, was selected in the uh, official section in, in Cannes. And uh, that was the last year where the, the jury was feature film and short film. Uh-huh. And so I mean, I had the chance to have like Tim Burton being part of that jury. That was really spectacular.
0: At eighteen, for uh, you? Yeah, that yeah. was
1: that was that was really unexpected, and. Um, at the time, we were sh- writing uh, with Greg Levasseur, who was my long-time writing partner and producing partner and best friend. We met when we were like 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were writing this adaptation of that short story by Julio Cortázar called Graffiti. And that was a sci-fi love story uh, in the near future. And the script, you know... Went really fast, and we uh, we had it like a, a we won like a prize for the script, and then we got financing, and Marion Cotillard uh, was you know acting in the movie, and the movie got made. But then, <laughs> let's say that movie was not like the best movie ever. It was a lot of weak uh, element, and the movie turned into a disaster when it was released. Like, Ouch. I mean, really, like I was. This is attention. No, 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 no that, no. that was that was Furia. Yeah. Was, okay. Oh, was, yes, yeah, Furia. That, that I was, thought.
0: Wait, I can't imagine anything no, 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 disastrous no, no. about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no,
1: Furia, and yeah, and, and right. Furia was disaster. And I thought that I will never be able to make another
0: movie ever. How old were you when you made Furia? Uh, I was twenty uh,
1: when I directed the movie. The movie released like two years after.
0: Washed up at twenty-two.
1: Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that was quite hard because. Yes, you know, it was easier for me because I grew up on set, I knew the people, I had, like, shorthand with a, a lot of, uh, you know, head of department, and, and so people were really critics especially were very hard with me. It was kind of like, oh, you know, he got... His the spoiled art. kid. Yes, who's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But got his movie, which was quite unfair because we, we got the financing uh, without being linked to, you know, my father or, or anyone, but anyway... The movie was not a success, and with the exception of my grandmother and a few friends, I don't think that anyone ever watched the movie. <laughs> but it was funny. Like we had like some weird thing, like Brian May, right? from the composer, yeah. yes, from Queen. No, not the oh oh, not, not the, the composer, film composer, not the, the film composer. Oh, the
0: guitarist from Queen. The,
1: the, yeah, Holy like, shit! Yes, did the the soundtrack for the movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. And I think we sold more um, you know album than we did videos <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> so but wow. i mean that was a great adventure but then it was a big uh, a big disappointment uh, when the movie didn't uh, you know find the audience and with greg we kept writing script and we had like a, a sci-fi thriller about cloning and and then we still have the idea of doing something very simple very classic you know in the vein of the Last House on the Left, mm-hmm. or Maniac, do uh, like a movie about those two girls in one in one night in that house with that killer, something that was really almost without dialogue. At the time, there were this movie, uh, Mute Witness. Oh, yeah, that's a great film. Yeah, that was kind of also an inspiration. And uh, so we were writing this script, and in the same time, we did a lot of second-unit Work for um, other French director, a lot of uh, stunts and um, mm-hmm. effect unit. That was great. We learned a lot doing that, and um, the script of High Tension was finished, and we got it um, fully, you know, finance. And then something really awful happened uh, in France. Uh, a young kid went to uh, kill his girlfriend. Stabbing her like sixteen times, Oof. wearing the scream mask, oh. and somehow that was the second time that Wes Craven kind of entered in my life in an indirect way. Right. The first time was the way I met uh, my best friend Greg and my you know business partner when we were like eleven, twelve, was a wrong shocker. Oh, wow. so that was the first time. That was the second time. Then that, like this awful story happened. That's not. Wes' responsibility, that's not uh, what I'm saying. Right, but, but here was, you have
0: two unwitting involvements exactly, with exactly. Wes Craven w- with whom your lives would connect very deeply very exactly. soon. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly,
1: exactly. And, and and the whole uh, uh, financing collapse oh. at that point, and we were just like a couple For of For all weeks.
0: of the genre, or just this movie in particular?
1: For all the genre in France at the time. Yeah. and In fact, to be honest, there were no genre in France at the time. So and still,
0: the, there's a bit. A little bit.
1: After High Tension, I think they... You know, I kind of opened a pass for that French for role for things
0: like martyrs and Eros yeah. and and the Gaspar Noé films, yeah. irreversible. We'll talk about that. Too.
1: And 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 so we um, we were just like the movie's not going to happen, and Luc Besson came on board and saved the movie. Really, he, he took you know the world movie, fully financed the movie. He, he had only one note. That's quite a big one because that was a question that been talk a lot on the movie was about the ending. The script mm-hmm. that he received first had that final uh, twist where at the end of the movie we were coming back to Cécile de France uh, 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 in the hospital telling the story and the doctor was bringing uh, you know a, vi- like a, a, a like a video to show her the security cam from the gas station mm-hmm. and you, you were understanding at that point that everything that she told was a lie and that the movie was another story. And Luke wanted that final scene to become the third act of the movie Ah. and that we will discover uh, uh, that she is the killer, you know, almost like half an hour before the end. I see. And that was a great idea um, to, you know, like in the theme and in the visual and I think, for the movie itself, but it raised a lot of logical question. Mm -hmm. And I kind of regret that we didn't nail, you know, like the... I I didn't watch the movie since it was finished. Right. But I still think about, like, another way to have made that ending bulletproof. Because I know that a lot of people found that the movie was really interesting but had that problem with the
0: ending. Really? Because the film became a sensation. That's something we were not
1: expecting. Greg and I, we just wanted to make a tribute to all the movies that you know kind of inspired us. Right. Uh, it was really like from Texas so Massacre to Last House to Maniac to um, you know some more obscure one like Dorso.
0: <laughs> right. Oh <laughs> but, yeah.
1: But but I was really like a. a, 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 a just an homage to to that cinema.
0: An homage it, and pastiche, in a way.
1: Yeah. yeah, and also somehow a reaction. We were making this movie in reaction to a decade, the '90s, mm-hmm. that were kind of disappointing in terms of cinematically. True. Yes, yeah. True. I I I would say not maybe the beginning of the '90s, but the second half of the '90s, and somehow. Some of because of Wes, yeah. You know, because of Scream. Ah, uh, you know, and yeah. that's. I mean, I I really like Scream, but Scream kind of opened a commercial pass for the genre that took it too too much to the uh, high school, right? Uh, uh, the uh, teenage humor, th- and, exactly, yeah, and, yeah. and not the very serious visceral fear, the brutal, uh, uh, um, you know, like absolute or from the 70s and the 80s.
0: Well, you know, Carpenter kind of did that with Halloween. He opened an, a whole new branch of filmmaking. I think Autention, uh did that in France and inspired a very brutal, very humorless kind of yes, horror. That's true. And, I mean, was, was that what you were trying to do, was embrace the Toby Hooper, the John Carpenter? Yes, the, that, the was, that was
1: really like to, to go back to that emotion that we had watching all those movies in VHS... You know, and and going to all the video clubs, and having all of free time, just being like, we need to see every movie in the in in the video store.
0: Was it always the horror genre that attracted to you, or yeah. you were attracted to? You know, I think the reason why
1: I always love uh, horror more than any other type of movies, were because when it was well executed and well made. It was the type of movie that has the less distance between you and the screen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I always look for the immersion. This is this is my uh, my ultimate uh, uh, goal when I do a movie, and I think that's also what I like the most when I watch a good movie is to forget that I'm watching it.
0: So it's an intimacy.
1: Yes, I, I like I like the, the the crossing on the other side of the mirror. I like to be. Uh, uh, to leave a movie and not to watch it, you know. Every right. time I kind of I'm back in my seat and I'm watching the movie, there is something wrong. Yeah, there's you're thinking about how it's made yes, or look exactly. at that shot
0: is so great. And yes, that music.
1: and 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 that's you know a lot of uh, the audience, you know, like they they I've never been on the side of the audience that have a, an absolute passion for Dario Argento. Or, right, or, and and it goes into. That, for that reason, you know, I will choose Deliverance or Texas and so Massacre mm-hmm. over any of Dario's movie. Right. Like, not a question, because when I watch Texas or when I watch uh, Deliverance, I'm in the movie from the beginning to the end.
0: You forget how it's made. Yes, I'm like yeah.
1: completely sucked in the story. I'm with the character. I feel for them. I'm scared with them. And that's really what got me in the, in the genre. And I remember the, the moment where I kind of discover that uh, power of the images. Uh, I was, I think, somewhere around six or seven. Wow. And I um, went to the video store and I rent a movie, and I was supposed to be Superman 2. And I don't know how, I end up having The Shining. Oh my! <laughs> that was like a, a Six years old, like seven. Let's, yeah, okay. let's say seven because a big difference.
0: Uh, yes, yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> and and I remember putting the, you know, like putting the VHS in the machine, and understanding really fast with the first shot and the music that I was not watching the right movie, mm. but I couldn't move. I was petrified with fear and fascination.
0: Well, you were the age of Danny Torrance in yes, that I was, story I was. But that I was time.
1: literally like in a trance, and I think it took me at least half an hour before I managed to go and and stop the movie.
0: Ah,
1: and and, and that stayed like one of my first really nightmare and and trauma. But it's also that moment I understood, you know, that the power of of pictures, the power right. of cinema, and the power of great cinema, obviously. But also, I realized that then to get rid of my nightmares induced by uh, Shining, <laughs> I had to tell what I've seen to my friend in school.
0: Right, to share it.
1: Yes. And and starting sharing it led me to that oh, you know, like you capture attention. You have like, a, when you start telling an oral story, people are actually. Intrigued, and and they want to know more, and there is something that, you know, get more directly to your um, guts.
0: Right. Well, you use the word immersion, which is, I think, great. What what are the actual tools that you use to connect with an audience in that way? I mean, uh, could you can you be specific about lenses or sound or h- how you approach that sense I, of
1: intimacy? I walk. You know i did I did a movie in, uh, in 3D uh, Piranha. I just did some um, VR episode mm-hmm. uh, for Oculus, which is like supposedly the the most immersive technique ever because you actually you know you have a 360 in stereo all around you and you are in the in the story. But the one thing I kind of understood is that it's not the tool that makes the immersion. It's really the storytelling and the characters. The
0: characters who draw you into their story.
1: Exactly. It's yeah. only the characters. If if the characters are not believable, if the characters' choices are not believable, if the dialogues are not believable, if anything feels like a showstopper, you just get out,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: and and you 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 stop leaving the movie. And and it's not about the 3D or the sound, everything. Everything, of course, helps. You know, it's, right. it's great to have the tool that we have today to create that experience. But at the end, it's really the story. And it's how you're going to take people by the end and take them into
0: your story. So writing is an important, that's the jumping off point. And you do that with your partner. Um, I,
1: I I did, you know, not on every movie, but right. I'm really involved in the writing no matter what. And to be honest... I don't really see a difference between the movie when I'm writing them or when I'm just overseeing someone else writing them.
0: It's all part of the same process. It's
1: part of the same process mm-hmm. of being sure on the page that you have all the elements to create that immersion.
0: Now, because you were brought up by parents who were a part of the film industry in France, was it always something you just naturally... Went into a lot of people rebel a bit, uh, against what their parents stand for. Yeah, of course, <laughs> and I, what was I
1: it? yeah, I, I started by you know wanted to do many many things like any little boy, but then I realized, you know, it came with the writing. I when I was thirteen, we we create this uh, high school newspaper, and I was pretty much a newspaper based on short stories. Hmm. And so it was all. Did of the us. same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so it was all about writing short stories, yeah. and I think that somehow I would have loved to become a writer, just a writer, mm-hmm. You mean a novelist. Yes, mm. but but some, you know, because I grew up on set and I saw my father directing, and I had the impression that all this, you know, life I never seemed really walk. It was kind of, uh, you know, like it was walking, but it was but not it was really. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Like never have the feeling to be walking. Uh, and so the writing also of script was easier than writing, you know, mm-hmm. novel. And so with, with
0: Greg, I think... Doing a blueprint as yes. opposed to yeah. the words to communicate.
1: The newspaper lasts for two years. <laughs> and then after with Greg, we, we started writing script. Mm-hmm. It was really about... Just every hour that we had, every after school, we were just going back to my place or his place and
0: we were just writing script. Is The Shining the first movie you remember? Well, first of all, when did you watch it all the way through for the first time? It took me a long time. I think
1: that I watched The Shining, the full movie, uh, I was like 11, 12.
0: Oh, so it took you another four or five years. Yes. <laughs> so... What was the movie that you first saw where you appreciated what a movie was? Uh, was it something of your father's or?
1: Uh, I mean, you know, he doesn't speak English, so I can say. <laughs> <laughs> you can say anything you want here. <laughs> I can say anything I want. Uh, no, I, um, I think that the first movie, I mean, you know, it's going to be pretty classic for my generation, was Star Wars. Yeah. I, I remember like waking up before going to school every morning and watching yeah and watching star wars and watching it again and again and again and again i was really like the the, the 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 and then of course all the classic i mean the gremlins was maybe you know like the one of my favorite yeah. Back to the Future, of course. I mean, it was that
0: all these magic. things I worked on. My first job was answering phones for the original Star Wars, and I did the making of Gremlins <laughs> all that stuff, and watched them shoot Back to the Future. It's, yes, I mean it's it, it is stuff. it is
1: a magic decade. <sighs> it was so you were a Spielberg baby. Yes, completely. I mean, like yeah. there is. I mean, it. Uh, I I remember like we were shooting uh, this movie where Luc Besson was my was the second unit director, and Jeremy Thomas, that's his name. Yeah, the boy. Yeah, the the producer. Yeah. No, 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 oh. not, not Jeremy Thomas. Oh, sorry. Uh, Henry. Henry Th- Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, Henry yeah. Thomas. The, I've worked the, with the, him
0: several times. Yes. Yeah.
1: Henry Thomas was doing this uh, remake of the, Comanchini uh, the misunderstood. You know, like the, those two boys uh, with the ambassador in the garden. One of the oh boys oh die.
0: oh yeah yeah um with Tom Holland uh, um yeah. Uh, yeah what was the remake of the window? Yes, yeah, and and they were shooting. What was the name of that movie? Anybody?
1: Dean okay. Incompresso. uh yeah. in, it's an Italian remake. I mean, it's a movie based on an Italian movie. Right, and they were shooting in the same place. And I remember having my first, like, you know, I was five or six, and he was. I think, 10 or 11. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is Elliot. Yeah. You know, like, this is this is like, I was like really fascinated by, by. Uh, I mean, this movie was definitely one of the, of the first, uh, you know, one that changed your life.
0: Right. Was it at that point you thought that's what you wanted to do? No.
1: I, at that point, I was just, you know, I love movies. Uh, I wanted to, I don't know, I mean, you know, like be... A fireman, or, <laughs> or like, or, or <laughs> That's re- what I was thinking, research. I mean, yeah. you know, like, do something very different. But then, you know, it, it's 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 later on when you look back, where you you, you know, there is a few things. I, I was talking to um, to Sam Remy a, a few days ago about <laughs> uh, the fact that he grew up in in a, in a generation where eight millimeters was available and used yeah and was fantastic and you yeah. could make movies in eight millimeters, and that was great. I grew up in a decade where eight millimeters didn't exist anymore, and I was that awful you know uh, uh video d h s VHS c and, oh, VHSC and, and, VHSC and yeah. stuff and and I was privileged I had the material I could have started shooting, but every time we were trying to do some short film or some funny stuff with the video. It looks so bad. Mm-hmm. And I had like this this aesthetic kind of, uh, it I doesn't look anything like a movie. Right. And so because of that, I went to the writing side. Uh-huh. Because writing, everything was possible. And I think that if I had, uh, you know, if I had had that eight millimeters access, I might have done more, Movies instead of writing. Because and it's more
0: filmic and not yes. so
1: homemade looking. I mean, when you yeah. when you look at 8mm, it looks amazing. Yeah, still I mean, that's
0: the first thing. I, uh, this is pre-Super 8, too. Yes. This is just 8mm. Those were the first things I did when I was 12. Yeah. And I look at, yeah, the VHS camcorders of the day. It just looks homemade. Yeah. And every generation goes down looking shittier and shittier as you do your editing. Filmmakers are intuitive... As well as intellectual. Now you had two sides of it because your father was a filmmaker, your mother was a, a cinema critic. So it was in, an intellectualization of the film process. How how much did that influence your thinking about film? Uh, she was
1: not a critic when I was a kid. When I was a uh. kid, she was uh, she had a very funny job. She was um, she was on TV every morning. Wow. And she was part of the um, host of the Good Morning France. Really? And she was presenting gadget. Like really like invention. That really? was her oh, she, this like is, f-
0: she was the tech yes, exactly. <laughs> specialist.
1: So everything that she was showing on TV ended up home. Ah. So we had all the the <laughs> This had
0: to be the best job in the world for yes. you.
1: I mean for me, she was the closest to the the father in the Gremlins. Yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yes. it's, that's pretty much. And I think that's the Hoyt character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I, I I really wanted to become an inventor, or, or a, a oh. more, because she was, and we were going to all those Fair, where we were meeting like people that were inventing like the most stupid things ever, like the 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 new size of frying pan or the <laughs> the, 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 the the to do like a foie gras sorbet or like whatever. Like, oh, this you know, is like, fantastic! So that was funny, but she, you know, after that. That job when I was kind of twelve, she became. Um, she was doing the music for a long time. She was a critic for the music, ah, and I then see. she became the, the cinema. But I think she started being a, um, a French national television critic. Uh, I was already eighteen. So, so, so you were filmmaking already? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, you know, like we were. She she was taking me to see
0: movies twice a week.
1: Wow. You know, well,
0: what must it have been like? She was obviously well known by everyone in France, uh, being the ho- one of the hosts of this morning show. So that must have been an odd way to see movies. You'd go to screenings rather than.
1: Yeah. No. No. It was. It was. You know, like regular cinema, and yeah. she. Yeah, she was quite known, but she was not... I mean, it was... I don't realize, because my dad was quite famous, in fact. Yeah, yeah. He was more famous than her, so I didn't even realize that she, people were recognizing her in the street.
0: But her face was more recognizable. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, what was your dad's palette in film and does your uh, interest in this dark side of cinema uh, come from some place of his work, like Return to Algiers is a famous yeah. one of his films, things like that? My
1: my my dad um, had, uh, you know, like a strong... I mean, my dad's life uh, um, went through the big history with a big H and... and he, you know, he was born in Algeria. He has to leave uh, during the war when he was uh, 14. And so there were a lot, a lot of real, you know, like, events. Right, and historical was, events. Yeah, and it was a really guy. tough for him. And he really started from, I mean, I think he began by, like, saying, like, poetry in the streets in front of café. Wow. So it was really, like, coming from... From nowhere and having no privilege, and, and and he made himself. He became an actor, then he became a stage director, and then from the stage director he started to, um, you know, direct some TV uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, specials, and then did his first movie was a big success, and you know did. But every single of his movies were part of his life. Right, you know, it's it's a very autobiographic. Right. A a A walk. And so they would be political and social as well
0: because his life reflected that from Algeria. And
1: he he was not the only one. I mean, he was, you know, like a member of a community that was representing millions of people that moved, you know, at that point. So his cinema was some kind of mirror for that group of people and for the other one that has to welcome them, you know, from one day to the next. So... His cinema was a very popular cinema that was very successful, but very anchored in, in history and his own and personal. Right, right. And growing up and writing, I couldn't really find anything interesting in my uh, uh, rich little boy life.
0: <laughs> you know, like I, yeah.
1: I, I mean, I prefer to be honest. It was just yeah. like I was, you know, privileged. I didn't have problem. I grew up in Saint Germain des Prés. You know, it was kind of. Uh, so somehow I got interested in um, in a different type of stories.
0: So the fantastique yes, had exactly. an appeal to you that it might not have if you'd had the life your father lived.
1: Exactly. I think the supernatural, the, the or The science fiction were like really places where I found myself in the legit, you know, space where right. I could actually tell story the way I want and put personal stuff in them. But not having to assume, you know, like just, you know, my life that was, I think, not as interesting as is.
0: Right, right. Well, and it's reflected. Is that why you go by Aja instead of Arcadie?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, uh, when I did that uh, um, high school newspaper, I was just signing with my uh, initial, Alexander Jouan, my mom, uh, Arcadie, my dad. Right. And I was AJA. So that was my uh, uh, initial when I was writing and so I kept that name when I started doing short film because I didn't want people when I did my first short film I didn't want people to to know who I was. I, want, I wanted to prove myself that I could get financing for a short film that I could get a crew and people without being like you know uh, uh, the son of alexander arkady
0: right so uh, which is something in common with somebody we're going to talk about soon you worked with joe hill the son of, of yes. stephen king i worked with him too when he was a pa mm. on the stand when he was 18 19 <laughs> years old And he went to a publisher with his first novel without telling him he was Stephen King's son. He used the name Joe Hill and did this great book deal, and that happened. So it's the same sort of thing with you. You didn't want to be known as your father's son. You wanted to do it on your own merits.
1: And and that's something I think I share with, with Joe, and we talk about that, is the fact that after that first moment where you have to prove yourself, at some point, people find out. And, right. and when they find out, you have two ways to go. Or you deny and you kind of build a wall, or you embrace it. Yeah. And because, you know, my dad is one of the most important persons in my life. I talk to him every day. I show him, you know, every cut of my movies. And, and unfortunately, I cannot give him the script because he doesn't speak English. So, <laughs> But he's always, you know, very involved. We are producing a movie together. We, you know... I, it is like a really really strong friendship and i completely assume the the legacy of of you know what i learned with him in filmmaking is something that you don't learn in, in film school i learned uh, how you lead a crew how you behave on set how you deal with the time or you never give up when a project seems to be lost uh and, and all those elements, you know, I'm really happy and proud to be to be his son. And I think that Joe has the exact same approach, you know. Right. He's so close to his dad and, and yeah, they, very work, much they so. work together and I mean this is great. And and he has no problem
0: of saying, yes, you know, I'm you know, I'm his son. And, and, and both of you were able to establish yourselves with some success without anyone knowing of that connection first. Yes. Yeah. So in the case of Hot Tension, or High Tension, um, tell me about that experience of making this movie and suddenly having this tremendous festival success.
1: It was a, a big surprise. And um, the, 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 the movie was finished. We showed it to Luc Besson. He was very happy with it. And he called us and 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 told me, I said, like, here's, I wrote that script and I would like you to direct it next. It's going to be your next movie. And the movie was um, Distri- District 13. The, oh. The 13, I mean, Banlieue 13. It was a French action movie. Right, like, I remember. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And So that was
0: supposed, supposed to, to be, be you.
1: That was supposed to be my movie after. Yeah. And I read the script and i knew from the first page that was not what i wanted to do but i was so scared because i knew what happened with my first feature and the disaster and at that time High tension was just a small all movie and i had no idea that it would be a success that people will watch it and so i had to say yes and we started you know like pre production on mm-hmm. this action movie we did the casting we did some very Big rewrite on the on the script. We scout. What kind of budget was this movie? Going oh, to that be? that was huge at the time. It was already like a fifteen million euro.
0: And how much did High Tension cost? High uh, Tension cost two million dollar. Wow, that's so, still a good yeah good was, price no, for an independent we, thriller like
1: uh, Yeah, we had thirty six day of shooting. That was great. Really, fantastic. And but because we went to Bucharest and and Bucharest right. was the place that gave us all that production value ah, yeah like the same um, budget I remember we did one in southwest of France where the action is supposed to take place, and we were like close to five wow. million you know so yeah france is expensive so yeah that was a, that was a that was a really good deal too. so
0: here's this big step up deal with with Luke besson and but and you read the script and i 'm not i'm not into it and you're all. just trying to talk yourself into this is going to be great <laughs> yeah
1: and, and and that's the only way because i I have that feeling that attention will not go anywhere. I'm super happy with the movie. I feel that, you know, we did something good. That's efficient. Yeah, that's yeah. gonna. But I don't believe that the movie will. Uh, and I remember we are in um, June, and the movie released in France, and we have some very good critics. Very good review. I mean, it's 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 like really better than what I was expecting, but the movie doesn't perform. Ah. You know, we we I think altogether we did hundred thousand or hundred, you know, like twenty thousand admission, mm, which mm. is really not like a great number. No, but you know, everyone's happy, and
0: I'm still working on on this movie. And so you you started pre production on yes. District Thirteen before High Tension yes, came out.
1: Yeah, exactly. I see. And and we are going to start lo- uh, prep on location in Bucharest again, mm-hmm. when I received a call from the line producer saying, oh, there were an accident during the training and the main actor, Cyril Raffaelli, um, uh, cut his Achilles heel. Completely. Oh, his Achilles tendon, yeah. Tendon was, you know, mm-hmm. like a, a destroyed. Oh. And so I went to, I mean, I should not say that, but, you know, it's true. I, on the moment, I felt that it was something, that this came was, from
0: yeah, like, from above. Uh, <laughs> from above.
1: That was kind of saving me. Yeah. And, and so I went to see him at the hospital, and they say, oh, at least three or four
0: months. And you were breathing, breathing a sigh of relief. I was like... Whew. Yeah. this is this Not is, being selfish, but yeah, just... No, like, we want like, you healthy, but we don't want to do this movie.
1: <laughs> and so I, I talked to Luc Besson, and Luc was like, no, no, we have to wait for him. And so... Because of that, I was able to take the movie to uh, Midnight Madness in uh-huh, Toronto. in
0: Toronto. So that's where it
1: really that's exploded. Exactly, yeah. Wow. And, and really, you know, I have to be absolutely grateful to Colin Giddes and, 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 and the amazing work that he did over those years at, at the Midnight Madness selection. Yeah. Because yeah. He, I'm not the only one.
0: I mean, yes. he reviewed Oh, it started many careers. Yes. Yeah.
1: I mean, he really, really put us on the map. And um, and you know and I remember being with Greg in in Toronto, uh, and we were like just like going to the. We organized a day a day trip to go see the Niagara Fall. When, like, people said, "I don't know, you have to stay. You have to stay." They are doing new screening of the movie. There is agent. There is yeah. a lot of stuff, and <laughs> and that was
0: and you're just going yeah yeah and
1: I, <laughs> and I was and that everything started you know we we. I met my uh, my agent, that's still my agent uh, today, and um, it was uh, you know the beginning of something else.
0: Yeah. So did you start getting offers? Um, at, at that
1: point, yes. You know, we we had like another script that we really wanted to do that we were writing, and we started receiving scripts. And a, I think it was a month later. Where um, we organized our first trip to LA. And so we had a lot of meeting lineup. And we arrive on a Thursday afternoon and we're going to William Morris uh, to meet with the agent, and they're telling us all the stuff. And the first meeting we're going to have. Is with uh, Sylvester Stallone, <laughs> and that was a very funny one because I was like, "Is it a joke?" Because he was a huge star in France at the time, and sure, and the whole thing was like, you know, whatever happened, don't say yes, don't say yes. <laughs> and I was like, "Why not?" I mean, it's great. I love, yeah, Sly uh, you know, is like, like you know part of my childhood, and um, and so th- we had that, you know, Friday morning meeting that was absolutely surreal with Stallone pitching us, he had seen High uh, Tension, and he pitching us like a psychic cop feature film that never happened, uh. never been done. I read, I was, that was funny. Yeah. <laughs> but in the afternoon, and that's the most important one, in the afternoon, we had a meeting with Wes Craven.
0: So he had seen
1: High Tension. He had seen High Tension. And uh, the meeting was about a script that he sent us called The Witting there was a ghost um, ghost house
0: movie. Oh, so it was with Sam Raimi as well. Uh, no, no, not oh, a ghost oh, house. Oh, like a, uh, just like a, a ghost story. House. Yeah, Haunted like house. A, yeah. Not yeah. ghost house productions. No, no, yeah. not a ghost house. But that's funny because
1: we had also another project that Sam Raimi sent us in the right. same time. And I ended up having to choose between Wes Creven and Sam Raimi, which was like, <laughs> I, if only That's I, I could have one. imagined my life <laughs> being in, in 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 you know facing that choice, uh, you know it was just unbelievable. But yes, and and we um, we met with uh, with Wes about that script, and by the end of the meeting, Wes you know told us said, "Do you know the Hills of ice? And I was like, "Yeah, of course we." I mean, busy. Do today. I know the
0: Hills? Have <laughs> I?
1: And he said, "Like you know, I'm." I would like to find a way to reboot, or we were not using the word reboot at the time. It was like not remake either. We like to to do another Hills of Ice today, Mm -hmm. and we took that assignment like really, uh, you know. That was the one that excited you. Yes, and and, as
0: soon as he said that, you knew that's what you wanted to do.
1: I, I, you know, at the time, my uh, my agent was kind enough to give us his apartment and he was like Ah. sleeping at his girlfriend. (laughs) I was like really, and and we were like just, you know, like thinking about all the, and I remember that evening where the nuclear testing element that was going to be the center of the new Hills of Eyes came, uh, you know, in in our mind. And a week after, I think, we went back to Wes and we pitched him this idea and he got really excited And that was the beginning of, you know, like, you know, that was...
0: And you were off and running. Yes,
1: yes. That was, you know, like I, when, when in English that expression doesn't exist in, in French people say break a leg, Mm -hmm. that... Lead actor that break his leg <laughs> was really my, <laughs> yeah. my 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 lucky moment.
0: Yeah! Wow. So, how involved was Wes in the creative process, first in the writing stage and then in the uh, actual production of the film?
1: So we, um, I think, we closed our deal to start writing uh, uh, during Sundance, where Eye uh, Tension was also uh, selected. Mm-hmm. And uh but we, we did start in fact early on because we were too
0: excited to just yeah. wait. <laughs> yeah, we'll sign the papers, but <laughs> yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No matter what, it's yeah. too exciting to do. And um so yeah, we went I mean at that time Wes was super, super, super busy. I mean he was really, really like uh uh absolutely I mean he was finishing the first shooting of curse. Right right and he the was, werewolf movie you know yes. g- like getting ready for uh, uh another uh, uh curse shooting oh because, really you know, they were
0: like, planning on curse 2 yeah. no no not oh, curse 2 oh,
1: no i think they made west reshoot curse oh right three right times. they
0: did it yes completely it reshot was, yes
1: it was enl- i yeah. mean endless he was so pissed off and then he was doing this uh, uh, uh he was supposed to leave curse to do uh, red eye right and so he was, I mean, you couldn't get Wes in the most busy time at, the, at, at, at that point. So his involvement in the script was, you know, giving notes. He has some, uh, you know, doubt about a few things in the script. But he, he was kind of letting us do our, our Giving thing. you your own rope to yeah. hang yourself yeah. Yes, exactly. But that was, that was interesting because we, uh, we went out with the project and Dimension... Bob Weinstein, who was doing curse at the time with with mm-hmm. Wes, uh, optioned the Hills Eyes. And we were making the movie for them. And we stopped, you know, going around and, and scouting and going, you know, find the right place and casting. The script was approved. Everything was fine. And another one of the story where just a couple weeks before we started a, a prep on location, uh Bob Weinstein decided to change his mind completely and said, you have to do it for half of the budget or I'm not ah. doing it. And Wes at the time was so pissed off mm-hmm. about
0: mm-hmm. Bob and
1: Curse and all that stuff.
0: After all he'd done for their yes. companies. The and
1: market. he was kind of like, you know what? I'm not. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. I'm going to sue them. I'm going to get uh, uh, my deal. And, but we're not going to make the movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And we just had spent like most of a year writing and developing. And this
0: is your first Hollywood movie. Yes. And, 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 and the, we the, had, the
1: love and passion you and put we, into this. And we had passed on the Sam Raimi movie. Oh, that was, that was the, the messenger. Yeah. And we had passed oh, yeah, on yeah. House of Wax and, and a lot of other projects. And so we were just like the hills of Ice. And that was our only, 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 only shot. And we see the whole thing collapsing and like mm. not going to happen. And we are freaking out. But suddenly, something happened where everyone got excited by the idea of taking it over really and Peter Rice, that was running a, a fox Searchlight at the time mm-hmm. had a, like a big success with twenty eight days right came on board, and I think it's like, almost like over a weekend we were back already wow. with the same condition with the right budget, and a couple of weeks after we were in Morocco in pre production so that was a that was spectacular. That was
0: well, really tell insane. me about the difference between how you approach a movie, of a Hollywood movie, even though it's made in Morocco and it's an independent movie, versus having made a two million dollar, uh, a two million uh, uh, euro it, thriller.
1: It was. It was the pretty much the same process. You know, I was really scared about losing control on on the making. And I, you were quite young. Yeah. Yes, I was really young, but also I grew up with my dad, where you produce, direct, write most of the time, a mm-hmm. movie when you... It's you, your
0: movie. When you in do, fact, In fact, it doesn't say directed yeah. by, it says un film de, Yes, exactly. You know, a yes. film by.
1: And, and, and so, you know, I, I had no idea of how to work without access to the budget, without access to all, all the sentiment. So that was one of the reasons why we chose the Health Advice over the Sam Raimi project mm-hmm. or House of Works, is because we kind of had this instinct that if we were writing we will be uh, you know occupying more space that we right. were like having more control and we will not be put aside it was you know, more your project than yeah, our project exactly yeah. and and <clears throat> and so another way to keep the control was to take the movie away and go where the production value was good and that meant Going to Morocco, interesting, and and Wes was really kind of nervous about that in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And we scout New Mexico, we scout uh, Mexico, we scout uh, uh, Namibia.
0: Wow, <laughs> we scout uh, uh, because Cape there's talent. such a deep, crew of <laughs> yes, talent in base there.
1: But then Morocco was always like the uh, scary part. But I had made my first movie, Fury, over there. And I had uh, 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 shot two movies as a second unit. And I had produced uh, my ex-wife's first feature film that was shot in Morocco as well. So I really knew the people, knew the crew. And so I just keep pushing, keep pushing. And the numbers were much better. Sure. And so... I remember that that moment where we went back to to West, and we put on the table pictures of New Mexico mm-hmm. and pictures of Morocco, but mixed together. Ah, can you and tell I the say, difference? And I say, please find a way, because it happened that south of Morocco and New Mexico are the same altitude, ah, same latitude, right. same vegetation, same color, same everything. So he had to admit that it was the right place to to go, and so. We we went there to to make the movie with mostly my crew from High Tension mm-hmm. and a few new people, especially Greg Nicotero.
0: Yes, we love the KNB
1: yeah, guys. Yes, you know that was my big uh, my big first you know collaboration with with Greg. Yeah, and that was he and Howard are just yes, the best. That was that was really spectacular. So yeah, that was pretty much the
0: yeah. Well, it's interesting. You've done original movies. You've done a remake. And here comes another remake. And something you would not imagine was in, you know, this... We're talking about Piranha 3D, Mm -hmm. which has a lot of humor in it. And something, your first two films that were released in this country were very hard-hitting, very gritty. Even, there's humor in Hills Have Eyes, but it's very dark. (laughs) Piranha 3D is... Really funny, <laughs> and so is that part of what you brought to it, or it's um, did that exist before you came involved? Yeah. So Pirana Treaty was titled, uh, I
1: think, Pirana Lake Avasu, mm-hmm. something. I mean, it was a, a, a spec script that we read. I think in the same time than, then you know, like the 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 wedding, the the first. Set of script, right? And we met with um, a group of uh, producer at the time, but we were absolutely not seeing eye to eye. I mean, we were like really cannot be in more disagreement. They were kind of the script was really fun and campy. It was really like an or comedy with a lot of teats and a lot mm-hmm. of uh, blood, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and it was exactly you know the spring break under attack, right? Uh, thing, and we went, and they were like, oh, you know, we think we should move like the spring break element and we should do this and this. And I was like, ah, oh, I really like what you have. Right. So, you know, we end up the conversation, that was it. But I kept this story and that script in my mind for a long, long time. Then we did the Hills of Eyes, then we did... Um, mirrors. Yeah. Mirrors. We produce P2. And when we were doing P2 in uh, Toronto, um, uh, we were, you know, like... Dimension reach out and say, "Oh, we heard through you know sources that at some point you liked the script of uh, of Piranha. <laughs> Back to Dimension. Back to Dimension, <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah, I really you know like it." And then Bob at the time called me and said, "You know, we did a big mistake with the Hills of Ice. Really? I mean, Bob is always being really fair, about assuming mm-hmm. and and owning is uh, you know. Uh, what he did is not someone who's trying to rewrite, or, or, or you know, it's he was really like okay, you know what, we lost, we fucked up, yeah, yeah. we lost so much money by not doing the Hills of Eyes, and let me, you know, let me make it to you, and and let's do another movie together. So I have this um, a dinner in uh, in in Toronto where we start talking about the script and the project and how much I I liked. Um, you know piranha, and I'm you know like pitching all the scene that I like, and I see the faces in front of me like being like smiling politely but not understanding at all what i'm talking <laughs> about and I realize as I'm talking that I'm pitching them a script that they apparently never read, and I realize at that point that they have the script that's still based on the same script that I read, but that went to development hell to five different a studio, Mm -hmm. to end up uh, with them. At the the time, it was Dimension and Wild Bunch.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Doing it together. And And, Wild Bunch
0: is a French company.
1: Yes, and I think the the script was the one that I read at that point was Chuck Russell.
0: Oh, really? Yes. But he wasn't attached to direct? He was
1: at some point, but
0: couldn't because he was doing something else. I don't remember exactly the... So Chuck but, Russell directed Nightmare on Elm Street three, and he did uh, the Blob remake, and uh, you know a very well known guy there. Just for anybody who doesn't yes. know, And 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 so I'm
1: you know reading that script, and I love Chuck Russell's work. And, yeah. But the script I'm reading is absolutely not the movie I want to make. The, mm. the, as I said, there is no spring break. It's like during Fourth of July, but that's not even like uh, important in the story.
0: So you're telling them all the things you loved in the yeah, script, like, and they're going, "What's he talking about?" Yes, <laughs> like, you
1: know, the parasailing girl getting eaten halfway, right. the boobs out, the I mean, like, all the different <laughs> elements that was so fun, and uh, <laughs> and and so they, they you're like, yeah, no, and they looked, and they said, hey, yeah, it's the same script, but it's a full rewrite by someone mm-hmm. else." And so I told them, I said, listen, you know, that Chuck Russell kind of very classic story about a, a diver group that gets stuck into a, a cave and with Piranha being released, is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's it's maybe a good movie. It's not what I want to make. What I right. wanted to make is this kind of over-the-top, crazy girl, uh, uh, extravaganza, or...
0: A really great B-movie.
1: Yes, uh, yeah. and, 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 and so... You know, like, they say, yes, let's go. And Wild Bunch at the time was not willing to go because that was costing more money as well. I mean, the Chuck uh-huh. Russell version was way cheaper than the version I wanted to do. Uh-huh. And so Wild Bunch said no, they went out, and Bob decided to, you know, do the movie. But that's the great thing with Bob, and, and I'm going to defend him for, I mean, like, as, you know... As, Bob as, Weinstein
0: we're talking yes. about, yeah. Not Harvey, <laughs> Not
1: Harvey, <laughs> and really not Harvey. <laughs> okay. You know, Bob can be very hard and tough and, and, and sometimes treat people in the hard way, but he's, you know, when he believes in a movie, he will move Montaigne for it. And that's really what happened. We we were writing the script, and I called him one day and said, you know, like Avatar, they're doing Avatar in, with this new uh, 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 stereo system, and... It's great for Avatar, and I can't wait to see a James Cameron movie in, in in stereo with that new system. But can you imagine a, mo- a really old movie with like going like completely over the top with it and and with the three D? Say so, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> we're on, <laughs> we're on, and then the, we had the three D on the title that day, and Piranha three D, <laughs> and then and then you know it was on everything. You know, I I, I remember. Uh, uh calling him and, and say what do you think about having Dreyfus taking his part from Joe's Joe's yeah and <laughs> Richard being, Dreyfus and, and being in the opening of the, the, the movie we had just a fisherman right and I said like let's make it this like is something classy. really funny. He <laughs> said like, yeah let's do it. And he went and he got uh, Richard Dreyfuss to, to... How create. amazing is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, so that was like great movie moment, And, and the movie is, is really like Spring Break Under Attack or Joe's Gone Wild.
0: You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty <laughs> much. Did you talk to Joe Dante before you made the remake? So
1: we, um, we didn't have a direct contact, but we were going to... My dream was to have him and James Cameron to, to, to come do a cameo as a boat captain.
0: Oh great! You know, like
1: during spring break, you always have this boat captain giving a safety speech right. to the drunk kids. So I had this kind of idea of having the two of them giving the safety speech. But unfortunately, That's, that would have been amazing. Joe was not available. I think he was shooting the the hole.
0: Oh, the hole! Yeah, yeah in three
1: D also. Yes, yeah. at that point, and something really sad happened with with James Cameron. It's like we started the movie. Uh, by doing a real stereo and shooting a real 3D. Mm-hmm. So we we met with VinSpace. VinSpace is his uh, you know a camera guy who developed mm-hmm. all the system and and stuff and we were going to do it this way. And someone who just had made a movie told me it's great, that it works really well, except when you have water. Oh no. And I said why? Because in fact when you shoot real stereo the, the the two cameras separated with the eye. Like your you know. eye distance. Exactly. Yeah. And and so every difference of lighting will broke will break the, the stereo. And water is a giant lens. Exactly. And the water reflecting the water will always change the lighting. Mm. So we had to make the call and decided to not go with the, the James Cameron technology and do um you know, Did you do
0: a conversion? And do a conversion. So you shot it in two D and converted to three D.
1: We shot it in anamorphic thirty five millimeters, and then you know have the conversion. And I was at the time it was, was supposed to be a great system because we were working with a company that just converted like part of King Kong, mm-hmm. the Peter Jackson King mm-hmm. Kong, and that was really spectacular what they could do. Unfortunately, we will not work with them after, and them. <laughs> yes. anyway, it's like another another story, but. And and so I I know that James took it like in,
0: in, in the wrong way. He took and, it personally. Yeah, kind like, of. This uh, is my system, and you're rejecting yeah, it. Yeah,
1: and he went after mm. the movie when the movie got Ooh. released. He went, you know, he, he used Piranha as an example of uh, of what- how not to do three D. Yes, oh. exactly. And and I was I was kind of because I really you know I mean of course I have a, a gigantic admiration for him. Sure. And uh, and you know I I I really wanted to have his blessing because he was also involved in the Piranha.
0: Piranha too, yeah. Uh, people don't remember that that, that mm, uh, that's his first movie. Yeah, his first movie as a director. Okay, couple of remakes, your own original movies, and now here's a best-selling book, Horns, Joe Hill. And tell me how that came about. I
1: was finishing uh, Piranha and um, had to do a lot of back and forth between uh, Montreal and Toronto and sometime driving. And I remember listening to Hans' uh, audio audiobook.
0: Oh, oh, okay.
1: And from the first chapter, I had that conviction that... That was the movie I wanted to make
0: What was it about that book that appealed to you so strongly
1: the, the tone the dark humor yeah. the the genre shift mm. the way from one page to the next the you know like the style is changing right from super funny to super dark to super emotional to very scary to I mean to v- simple drama I mean everything. In a very organic way, mm-hmm. I saw the story. I mean, reading the book, I had like that feeling going back to me wanting to be one day a novelist. I have a feeling that if I had the talent to write a book, I would have that would have been, yeah, this one. Oh, how amazing! So, so I, I really, really had like a, a I fell in love with, with, uh, with you know,
0: Joe Hill's work. So the book was not something that was brought to you, uh, but it was something you discovered on your own and then you pursued to make it into a film? Yeah,
1: no, they sent me the... No, 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 they sent me the... um, The audio book. No, they sent me the the book. Ah, okay. And because I was going to drive, I saw that the book was also in, you know... Audio version, so I just took it, and I was, I said, okay you now instead of reading the book, I'm going to listen to it for four hours as I'm driving right right and uh, and then, of course, I read the book and and but at the time it was not you know Kathy Schulman got the right uh, on the novel, and I met with her in the beginning, and she didn't want to commit with the director right away mm. And at the time shaleboff was attached to also interesting you you wa- also wanted to direct the the movie oh,
0: that's interesting
1: and um and we uh we discussed we kept in touch, and i think it was like a few months after I went back and i was like you know i i i need to make this movie this is mm. there is nothing i mean i'm i never
0: was convinced that much about something I had to make. So this became your passion project. Yes. And was Joe attached at the time as screenwriter, or was that... Um, no, Joe never been
1: attached. He didn't want to be part of the yeah. of of the writing process. I think he was, He had that very healthy attitude of saying, you know, I wrote the book,
0: and what happened after? Like his father, although, yeah. you know, the things I've done with his father, half of them he has written, yes. and half of them other people, including myself. Have yeah. yeah. But, yeah, that's a very healthy <laughs> attitude to take. The, the one thing that King always says is, you know, people say to him, oh, they really fucked up your book. And he just points, the book is still on the shelf. It hasn't changed. They may have made a shitty movie, but I got nothing to do with that. It's not my responsibility. That,
1: that's, yeah. And, but, you know, Joe was involved. He came on set. We, we had a lot of discussion. He really helped me on the editing process. Really, you know, to uh, keep to keep the shifts of tone, to keep a lot of stuff that I really like. Right, you know, there is a moment where people are looking to do something different, and they're all excited about doing something different, and then when they see something different, they kind of get scared, yeah, and they want everything to go back on track. And that's where you need to defend and you need to stand for. And what so Joe you came in and yes. helped not, you
0: stay strong.
1: N- not only Joe, I have to say that his father, you know, really, yeah, was very influential, side. yeah, you yeah. really you know, love the movie, love the cut, I mean, if I could go back in time now, I will definitely wish that I could have done it as a limited series,
0: really, yes, yeah.
1: because I still you know i i I really like the movie, I'm very happy with the movie yeah. and 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 it's something that's very personal to me. And the collaboration and walking with Daniel Radcliffe was amazing. And working with everyone, I mean, like this is really so far maybe my best experience in Really. In filmmaking.
0: Oh, that's exciting.
1: But I still feel that, you know, like there was so much more in the book. There's too much story for one movie. Yes. Yeah. And and if we could have done this thing over like four or five hours. Yeah, well, With well, the same crew, with the same actors,
0: because at the time it was not, you know, like you were one of the only ones. You know, <laughs> doing, doing miniseries, yeah. <laughs> doing that. And even at that time, they were kind of dead. You know, they, now there are limited series all over the place that are great. But um, tell me about Daniel Radcliffe and how he became involved. I mean, here he's doing the biggest movies in the world and here's a relatively small scale movie yeah. where he wears horns. Yes,
1: <laughs> he, he came after us.
0: Really? Yes. So he was a fan of the book? Yes. He
1: read the book and he asked for the meeting. And at the time, I had that very, I mean, I, I did that mistake of uh, seeing myself younger than I was. <laughs> <laughs> and so when I read the I book, always do that. <laughs> when, I, when I read the book, I was picturing, you know, like, this is, you know, like, i I, I seeing myself, but I didn't yeah. realize that the character in the book was maybe twenty to twenty five yeah. maximum. Yeah. And I was meeting with James Franco and I was meeting with other people that were just way older than them. They that. were grown ups. Yes. <laughs> and I and I and I took the meeting and I remember we were at the um, at the full season here in LA and Daniel came and we were talking and I was looking at him and I realized my mistake. And mm. I realized that he was the character. Wow. That he was this kind of Absolute romantic person. Right. The same way, um, uh, Ig, you know, Parish is in, in the book. Mm-hmm. He has this kind of, uh, not romantic as a, a you know, a kind of oh. cheesy. Right. But right. romantic as like living everything in the absolute way. Right. And being committed to everything he was doing. And, you know, like the, 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 to walk with him was, Spectacular because he 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 came from years and years of being like you know like the protagonist of a huge series of movies, but he was a kid when he did these movies, and kids have like a limited hours, limited number of hours. So he learned his craft of acting by never doing the blocking himself. Oh, was, how interesting. He was yes. coming on set, and they were telling him, here's your mark, so you start here, you do this, this, this,
0: this, this. So people don't realize in the making of a movie that uh, when you're working it out for camera angles and for focus and all that, you, you do rehearsals, first for performance, <laughs> then for technical aspects. And oftentimes with... Actors, you have to use a stand-in in their place while they go get their makeup on. We set the lighting and the cameras on stand-ins. So that's a fascinating observation. Kids can only work x hours a day, so seven can, or eight hours. So
1: you cannot waste that time yeah. by having them rehearsing. You have to, you know, assume what they're going to do. Right. So uh, uh, he learned his craft in a very, very narrow frame, and I think uh, uh, horns and a few other movies that he chose to do uh, in the same time were the first time for him that he could actually embrace, you know, like the being really part of the The making. process. And he's one of the, you know, most, smartest person I I know. Really? And he's also like the most uh, um, devoted. I mean, really, you know, like I never seen someone like him who not only knows... Every single name of any crew members. Mm-hmm. He also takes the time every day because you have to imagine he's the most well-known person in the world. Right. So no matter no matter where you are, there is a group of people coming to see him.
0: Right. Everybody and, wants
1: to see Harry Potter. And and by night, by day, they are waiting. They are waiting. And even if he works like twelve hours. Plus the hours of makeup that he has to remove, he will go see them wow. every day, and he will talk to them, and he will take picture with them. Is is really someone who understand the the chance, the the luck, the the blessing of the success that he had, and didn't take it for granted. Yes, and also someone who takes his own choices. I mean, he's one of the most famous actor in the world, but he's also one of the most, you know, like. A bold one
0: is mm-hmm.
1: taking Swiss Army Man. <laughs> Swiss
0: Army Man is like <laughs> the masterpiece. Don't get
1: wilder than that. It, it's it's yeah. it's crazy, and he always the only one to decide
0: mm. on the movies making. Speaking of deciding on movies making, the next one for you is is that Super Adventure Cobra?
1: No, that's is that, was, that happening? Or that was a dream project. Uh-huh. I. Grew up watching this uh, Japanese anime,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and after Piranha, uh, uh, you know, had an op had possibility to secure the right, and we developed the script, and we, we did, we went pretty deep into um, pre-production. We were doing it with uh, Lionsgate at the time, and French uh, partner, and unfortunately, the change of regime at the time at Lionsgate when. Uh, uh, Joe Drake left, mm-hmm. and the Summit people arrive, which are also people that produce P2 with me, right. so I knew them. But they were not believing in that space adventure huge movie. I mean, the the budget was 130 million.
0: Oh, it's nothing. So it was like
1: <laughs> crazy. But we had found yeah. a way to do it, and so because of that, things were got delayed, and 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 Guardian of the Galaxy came on.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: And Guardian of the Galaxy were pretty much. The twin of Cobra.
0: Really, uh, and and the same character. That must character, have broken your heart. Same,
1: yeah, I mean, every time I see my son playing with uh, Guardian of the Galaxy <laughs> Lego
0: <laughs> with Gru toys, yeah.
1: yeah, I'm like, I'm Groot. picturing that parallel world where he's playing with Cobra uh, yeah. Lego. Uh, but that was, yeah, that was kind of. Uh, and then one of the elements of our pitch was it's time to do a new Star Wars. That also happened. Now
0: it's done. <laughs> <laughs> so that was. So tell me what's next.
1: So um, right now I finished a, a, a VR or anthology. We did two episodes. Uh, first episode with Robert Englund. It's called Campfire Creepers, and it will come on the Oculus Store uh, very soon. I think by uh, mid-April.
0: So Oculus is an exciting new format.
1: Oculus is a new format. It's very interesting. The VR world is really like the beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much space there is for narrative VR. You mm-hmm. know, like I think the interactive VR is so powerful and so strong. But we tried. We did like a real uh, cinematic VR experience mm-hmm. with, you know, cuts,
0: camera movements. Right, right. Like So you don't movement. control everything you look at. But no. The director actually directs. Exactly. Yes.
1: And that was a that was a pretty cool experience. Uh and working with Robert with Robert Rdell England, yeah. Was yeah,
0: he's, just, he's boy, just
1: amazing. And now I'm like going to start a, a, a new movie, uh which is a survival uh back to high tension. Oh you know, like but, but it's a disaster. It's a hurricane uh survival movie set up in Florida with uh some, you know, alligators.
0: Oh, wow. So going back to your roots. Yes, yeah.
1: and it's a really, really scary Edge of You Seat uh, script. It's one of the script where you, you know, you, you get exhausted just by reading it. Wow. Not because
0: it's not good. Yeah, because it's so, it's tighten your nerves. Here. It's very intense. It's really uh, can you tell the title? It's uh, Crawl. Okay.
1: Crawl, but it's, crawl. it's a walking... Uh, Title I don't know yet. If yeah. you're going to, to that's use kind that. of a good title, <laughs> though. But it's it, it's a very it's not a monster movie. It's really like a, a almost like a just like a s- intimate survival thriller. Great, so it's, it's high not, tension. Yeah. yeah, it's more high tension <clears throat> than Piranha. It's, it's it's it's. In fact, it's very. There is something about Cujo, mm. you know, in I in, in the in the in in the script. Mm. the the way you know the heat the the right and
0: the and it's very, so emotional Cujo is so emotional that's pretty much like yeah. that that's that's just one last thing I want to ask you about why do you think it is that high tension had such an effect on what really didn't exist the French genre film for a while didn't exist and suddenly with martyrs and uh, uh, and the Gaspar Noe yeah. films and and Ilves, they're very much a part of the same grouping. What What is French about that? What's in the French character that embraces that?
1: You know, I think that the reason why uh, um, French movies, I mean, French movies is very, very, uh, the industry is really big. Right. We, we are still making, I think, 200 movies a year. Wow. Theatrical movies. Right. Uh, which is absolutely insane. We, I think we're we still like right after the U.S. and the West uh, mm-hmm. world, but it it is also most of the time comedies, mm-hmm. some period and a lot of drama. And the reason why is because the movies are fully financed by pre sale on TV mm. and pre sale on primetime TV. Which means that there is no room for our rated or, or, or you oh, know? so there is a an indirect censorship. Yes, we have a final cut, you know, like in France you don't even have to ask for final right. cut. Right. That's it's, a given. It's a given. It's Protected by the law, your movies, your movies. Even if you didn't write it, even if you just hired to direct, it's your movie. And you're just loaning the movie to producers. That's great. But there are some movies that you cannot make because the money comes only from a few sources. So that's one of the reasons why all movies never, never a a big thing in France. When we have an history of writing oil and and graphic novel that's gigantic... And I think that High Tension was the first one to show uh, um, an economic uh, uh, model mm-hmm. that made sense, where actually the foreign cell of High Tension were big enough to, you know, m- leave without the movie becoming a big, uh, 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 you know, like success in France or having pre sales on TV. Right. Where the DVD and the foreign cell were enough. To cover the cost of the.
0: Movies. So you created a subgenre: the French gritty, mm. really kind of brutal they, they horror were like,
1: thriller. Gaspar was before me. Gaspar right. did uh, uh, um, "Car um, Seul contre tous" as standalone. Right, right. And and that was before uh, that was before high tension. But really, high tension was the first one that opened the door for for Martyr and for uh, a Frontiere
0: and and. Use, Inside yeah. and yeah. In, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a pretty brutal subgenre. Well, I really appreciate you coming in and having a chat with us and giving us some insight into into your work and I can't Thank wait to so see much. what comes next. All right, thanks, Alex. Thanks. If you're enjoying Postmortem, it would be a great, great favor to us for you to rate and review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Uh, You can access all of my video interviews and behind-the-scenes documentaries, things like that, at MickGarrisInterviews.com. Reach us on Twitter at PostmortemMG and on Instagram on PostmortemGram. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks for listening to Post Mortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.